Listener Production. If you're wondering how this pandemic ends, and aren't we all, then this briefing explores a very interesting real-time scenario. Yeah, the European country with the highest number of daily cases per capita has also been the first country to relax almost all COVID restrictions. So no indoor mask mandates, no vaccine passports at restaurants, bars or stadiums, no gathering limits, no social distancing and no mandatory isolation if you're COVID positive. We are talking about Denmark. When other countries were starting to look at bringing in vaccine passports and bringing in restrictions again, Denmark was at a point last September where it decided to lift all the rules and regulations around COVID again. So why and how are they doing this and how have other European countries reacted and importantly to us, how relevant is it to our situation here in Australia? That is today's briefing. It is Wednesday the 9th of February. I'm Tom Tilley joined by Katrina Blowers. The first sitting of Federal Parliament for 2022 has opened with an apology to victims of bullying, sexual harassment and assault in that building. I am sorry. We are sorry. I'm sorry to Ms Higgins for the terrible things that took place here and the place that should have been a place of safety and contribution turned out to be a nightmare. So Brittany Higgins, Chanel Contos and several other high-profile advocates were in the chamber for the apology from the Prime Minister. Uh, His words were echoed by the Labor leader, Anthony Albanese. On behalf of the Australian Labor Party, I am sorry. So all of this comes in light of the findings of the Jenkins report into parliamentary workplace culture. Uh, The apology from both sides was actually the first recommendation made following the review. Former Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, um, she wasn't there in person, but she's spoken out after the apology, calling it performative, saying that Scott Morrison should instead be focused on proactive preventative measures. Now, very interestingly, today, Katrina, Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame will have their turn um, on the microphone. Mm. They're going to speak at a much-anticipated address at the National Press Club. And I think the uh, the questions from the journalists are, are going to be super, super fascinating. Um, this is usually streamed live. I definitely will be watching. Uh, mm. And I think we'll get some really raw and um, perhaps uh, insightful answers, particularly from Grace Tame now that she's no longer the Australian of the Year. Well, not that that was really holding her back at all. <laughs> The Prime Minister has won party room support for that very contentious religious discrimination law. Yeah, so it was a long meeting uh, and he didn't get everyone's support. Tasmanian backbencher Bridget Archer uh, is one MP who's refusing to support the bill. It's not okay to be cruel, offensive or humiliating just because you can say it with conviction or point to a religious text to back it up. North Sydney Liberal Trent Zimmerman is also reserving the right not to back it, which could mean that Scott Morrison might need support from Labor to pass it. So as well as bringing in this new religious discrimination bill, the government plans to amend the Sex Discrimination Act to ban faith-based schools from expelling gay students. But those changes won't extend the same protections to transgender students. So this is, uh, I guess, how they've explained the reasoning. The Attorney-General Michaelia Cash saying that if a current student transitioned while enrolled at a single-sex school, a religious single-sex school would just not be adequately equipped to cater to the needs of the opposite sex. Yeah, this is getting really interesting. I think so far... A lot of the the tension and the difficulty in finding uh, a compromise on this bill has been in the Liberal Party room. 
But if they do mm. um, move this bill in its current form and some of those backbenchers we mentioned don't support it, Labor will have to vote for this for it to get passed. It puts Labor in a very tricky position. They, they either have to support a bill that doesn't protect trans kids or vote against the bill and risk uh, losing huge numbers of Christian and other uh, religious votes, particularly in migrant communities. So Scott Morrison may have wedged Labor into a very, very hard position here. There's hope for peace uh, from the French president who believes the situation in Ukraine can de-escalate following a five-hour meeting with his Russian counterpart. We had a conversation that saw a number of propositions emerge, which I think Russia and France can converge towards. That's Emmanuel Macron's take on the conversation. Uh, here's what the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, said. Some of his ideas and proposals about which I think are too early to speak, but I think these ideas could form a basis for our further joint steps. I know if you saw Tom all over social media yesterday, there were these memes because they sat at probably the world's longest dining room table at either side. Um, they also spoke about an agreement on the withdrawal of forces, free elections and the constitutional status of the rebel region. So a lot to discuss in those five hours. Yeah, I mean, that grab from Vladimir Putin sounded kind of hopeful, though, given um, the images we have been seeing, which is just troops piling up. And an absolutely huge story out of the Winter Olympics in Beijing overnight. Oh, it's me! She's in the hands of the judges now! Holy! <laughs> yeah, so those are the words of the commentators after a huge, incredible jump from China's poster girl, uh, Eileen Gu. She did end up going on to win gold. The judges rewarded her for that jump. And this is the first ever women's free ski big air event. That audio is courtesy of Channel 7. And the reason it's such a big deal is that um, Gu has become China's hero because she was born in the US to a Chinese mother and American father. And she defected from the US to represent China in her chosen mm. sport uh, in 2019. So that wins her a lot of fans in China, but she's also a supermodel. She's worked for Victoria's Secret, been on the cover of Vogue, and she's been on billboards all over China in the lead-up to the Games. Yeah, apparently a single endorsement deal with her did cost $2.5 She has more than 20 Whoa. of those deals, so she's um, pretty savvy, and I can only imagine her worth has gone up now. Uh, even Peng Shuai, the, uh, the tennis player, was in the VIP section of the crowd cheering her on. Yeah, there was so much pressure on her um, in her second jump. She faltered, but she came back with that huge one in the third jump. She's 18 years old. So can you imagine all the pressure, mm. the weight of um, China's expectations, a billion people at their own games and all the money involved as well? Crazy. Oh, my goodness. Um, and the fact, too, that uh, she'd only apparently ever done that jump once, and that was in her gold-winning attempt. So doing that for the first time in front of such a huge audience, I think, is... I just don't even know how you deal with that pressure. Well, yeah, and she's still got two more events to go, the freestyle halfpipe and slope style. So it's possible she could become the first freestyle skier to win medals in three different disciplines. Anyone who has been watching Netflix's Tinder Swindler and felt sorry for the victims can now help them. Yeah, three of the women who were duped into handing over big sums of money to the man in Netflix's Tinder Swindler 
have launched a GoFundMe campaign. So three of these women are hoping to raise $1.1 million to help them get out of debt. Uh, their page has already raised over $68,000 and it's only been up for two days. Yeah, so they swiped right on the man going by the name of Simon Leviev. The fraudster convinced them he was in danger. Um, all up, he was said to have swindled uh, $14 million from a string of women which he used to fund his own luxury lifestyle. Interpol apparently waiting to arrest him should he ever leave his home um, in Israel. And he is also banned on, on Tinder. Well, thank goodness for that. Okay, we're about to go to Denmark, who could be leading the way out of the pandemic. At the beginning of the month, Denmark became the first European country to lift all COVID restrictions, except for international arrivals who will still need to be double vaxxed. Yeah, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, what's surprising about this is that they also had the highest infection rate in Europe. Now, authorities there say the virus no longer qualifies as a critical threat because of the country's high vaccination rate. 81% of adults in Denmark are double vaxxed and more than 60% are boosted. ICU admissions and hospital stays are down and that's because of the vaccine and the fact that Omicron is a milder variant. So I guess given Australia's vaccination rate of adults is actually higher, we are at 92.8% of adults double vaxxed. Could this be a glimpse of the future for us too? Yeah, it was a bold headline, this Danish story, when it came out last week. (laughs) And what got my interest was the reaction from the countries around it. And it was pretty quick. Over the next few days, most other Western European countries started heading in the same direction, winding back various Um, levels of restrictions despite really high case numbers. So even France, which has recently seen half a million cases a day, they're starting to ease restrictions too. The UK has eased most of their domestic restrictions and then other European countries have a different mix of settings, but overall it's slowly easing. So let's find out how the Danish decision was made and what their experience of the pandemic has been like. Adrian Murray is a correspondent in Denmark Adrian, thank you so much for joining us here in Australia. Let's go back before that latest policy decision, even before Omicron and Delta. What's the Danish experience of COVID been like since the start of the pandemic? Well, it's been a long, almost two years of of pandemic. And if we go all the way back to, to March in 2020, Denmark was actually the first country after Italy in Europe to to bring in the lockdown. So that was quite a a hard, fast lockdown. It was quite strict. Uh, But after a couple of months, uh, some of those restrictions started to lift and it then became the first country in Europe to start doing so. And it was also the first country at that time that started to send children back to school uh, and so on. And then really we had a, a fairly normal summer again, but, you know, come winter, Winter last year, we had a steep rise in cases, another lockdown, and this one was even longer than the first one. And it was also pretty strict. But in order to get out of that, Denmark was also quite different to some of the other countries. They actually brought in a type of vaccine passport. Here it was called the Corona Pass. And if you had a negative test or if you were vaccinated or had a previous infection, you could use that to go to the hairdressers, to visit a museum, to go to a restaurant. So actually, it was about April last year that that came in. So Denmark also started opening up sooner than other countries at that time because it was using this Corona Pass. And because 
there were some delays to the vaccine rollouts here in Europe. Um, they really relied heavily on ramping up testing to a really quite large scale because people could then go and get tested even if they weren't vaccinated. So that was operating for quite a few months. And I would say that following that, Denmark was quite out of sync with the rest of Europe because, again, things started to normalise by last autumn. So when other countries were starting to look at bringing in vaccine passports and bringing in restrictions again, Denmark was at a point last September where it decided to lift all the rules and regulations around COVID again. So last September, it said coronavirus is no longer a critical threat to society. We had no rules. And that was a very brief return to normality because just several weeks later, cases started ramping up again. And that's when Delta started to be felt here in Denmark and Omicron. Cases have spiked very significantly and we're seeing really high case numbers. But the feeling among authorities here is that those cases have been milder. And so that's brought us to the point where we are here today, where now they've finally decided to largely scrap a lot of those COVID curbs. So what has that experience with Omicron been like? Uh, Your case numbers are quite high, but it does seem as though it's not having that big impact in terms of overwhelming your health system. Although the restrictions have been lifted, I mean, coronavirus is far from gone here in Denmark. In fact, there are more cases now than at any other time in the pandemic. You know, we were seeing quite a lot of new records set on an almost daily basis in terms of new infections. There was a recent estimate that said that actually almost one in three adult Danes has probably had coronavirus since last November. So that's a huge number in just three months. So cases have been really sky high. However, authorities have been saying that Alarm bells right now are not ringing and they do believe that the situation is under control and that's why they decided to downgrade or reclassify COVID-19 once again to say that it's no longer a critical threat to society. So they lifted the rules and, and yeah, the reason has been because they believe that Omicron, whilst it's really contagious, it has been milder. And the health minister said that the number of cases and hospitalizations are now decoupled. So what what they're seeing here in Denmark is that although there's a sky-high number of cases, the number of seriously ill people is relatively low. So for example, in the last 24 hours, there were 36,000 cases, but there's only 34 people in the country that are in intensive care. Mm. So there does seem to be evidence that Omicron has been a lower risk. And those initial worries back in December that the health service wouldn't be able to cope with this really steep spiralling cases, those initial fears don't seem to have materialised. And so it's that coupled with you know, a high vaccination rate, the booster jab has been rolled out to about 60% of the population. And that's the reason why the government justified going ahead with lifting all those regulations. Yeah, it's a big call, particularly when you give us the context about the Danish government having made that call once before already and then having to backtrack. Now, the WHO initially responded by saying now is not the time to be lifting restrictions. But since Denmark made that announcement, most other Western European countries have announced that they're moving in a similar direction. So what was the response to the decision like in Denmark? Yeah, that's interesting. And you're right, you know, there has been some criticism and not everybody thinks this is a good idea. And I certainly think that Denmark is going to be watched as a bit of a a test case for how this all plays out. But really, I mean, the public reaction has 
been relatively positive. I mean, no sooner had the restrictions gone that people seem to be bouncing right back to carry on with their daily lives again. I mean, there are still people taking precautions. Face masks are no longer a requirement now, but if you go on public transport or in a supermarket where it's a bit busier, you will still see a few people still wearing them. And, you know, I spoke to a shopper who told me she's going to carry on doing that when she's in those busy places, but otherwise she does back what the government was doing, does support the move to lift restrictions. So here in Australia, we're seeing a similar kind of pattern play out with Omicron, a spike in infection rates, but certainly hospitals do seem to be coping quite well and those um, hospital admissions seem to be trending downwards. However, it is a different story in aged care. What's it like in Denmark and aged care and, and those kinds of facilities? The biggest group that's been infected with Omicron or with coronavirus currently is still the sort of the 20 to 39 year old age bracket. And then the next age is people, you know, in their, their 40s and 50s. Elderly care homes and hospitals are probably one area where there are some provisions that do remain. So it's, it is a slight exception to Denmark having lifted all, all the restrictions in, in other parts of daily life. I mean, there are guidelines still in place. So the idea is still to protect vulnerable residents. And um, the idea is that it's encouraged to wear masks or carry on with the Corona Pass. And visitors are told that they should take a test before you go and visit a loved one in a care home or at a social care facility. But, you know, these are still guidelines. So there's a bit of variation. So where do you think this is all going? Is, is Denmark leading the way? Is this how the pandemic is going to end in many other countries? Or could we live to regret this? Could there be a more deadly variant? Could we all get Omicron sooner than we think? I mean, where do you think it's going to go from here? I know that's a very ridiculously difficult question. <laughs> well, we've been here before where, you know, Denmark thought back in September there was you know, a very high number of vaccinations and cases were actually low at that time. So that's why they pressed ahead and decided to lift all the regulations then. Now we're in a different stage where, you know, it's a milder variant, but cases are so high. So it seems to have evolved into quite a different situation. Mm. Over these last two years, things have changed considerably, but I think it would be definitely politically much more difficult now, having lived through this for two years, and I think there's a bit of fatigue setting in. I think it'd be very difficult if there were more cases for, you know, politically and also in terms of protecting the economy to bring back very, very strong regulations. But at the same time, I think because they've lifted all the rules once and they've brought them back in again and then lifted them again, I think it just shows that there is that flexibility that if things do develop again, if things did get out of hand, that maybe we would see some sort of restrictions coming back. I don't think you can rule that out. In terms of the public sentiment, is there optimism that this could be it, this could be the winding down phase that everyone's been hoping for, or are people just kind of bracing a bit, a bit cautiously thinking, could this be just the eye of another hurricane? Well, winter is normally one of the, the worst periods that we've experienced so far with this particular virus. And what we've seen over the last two years is that things did ease a little towards the summer. There's definitely a hope that hopefully this is something that we can move on from, but it's hard to rule out what might be next. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, so mm. so it's hard to tell. But, you know, I think people are definitely feeling a bit more positive that, you know, life is starting to feel like it's getting pretty close or almost back to normal. That was Adrian Murray reporting in Denmark. 
Some people might be listening to this wondering how that Omicron sub-variant, the, uh, the BA2, might be changing the game, particularly because it's taking off quite a lot in Denmark at the moment. I think the latest figures had it at 40,000 new cases a day. The analysis so far from virologists is that uh, even though it is slightly more contagious than the original Omicron, it's not going to change this statistically at all because it's not seeing more people end up in hospital or people end up even seriously ill with this. So it's still all very much tracking in the right direction. Yeah, and this has been a really interesting interview and it actually lines up with um, an interview we did on December 2 here on The Briefing. We interviewed Professor Deborah Cromer from the Kirby Institute. So this was right at the start of the Omicron wave when it was just coming out of Botswana and South Africa. And she said, look, potentially this is how the pandemic ends, cross mm. fingers, a more transmissible but less severe variant, sweeps through vast swathes of the population, not killing as many people, but giving us immunity. And that's what's been happening with Omicron. And Denmark seems to be moving first down that path of easing restrictions. But it does seem to be what's happening here in Australia. This week, we had the announcement of the borders reopening in less than two weeks. And in many parts of Australia, including Sydney, where I am, people's lives do really feel like they're getting back to normal. The one thing that I would love to see change immediately in this hot, humid Queensland summer I'm experiencing, Mm. I'd really like to stop wearing a mask. (laughs) My chin and my fresh acne that uh, really I don't want to be experiencing as an adult. (laughs) I'd like that to go away. (laughs) An anti-masker, who would have thought? (laughs) Tomorrow on The Briefing, we'll take a deep dive on the Grace Tame Brittany Higgins address to the National Press Club. Listener.